0: The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. It seems to me that the purpose of the book of Revelation is to provide assurance and anticipation to God's people. In the time in which it was written, the churches were suffering in various ways, and some of them were going through persecution, and they certainly needed a revelation of Jesus. And John was able to have heaven opened up to his view, and as you read about what he saw, it's almost like what Paul said about it when he said uh, the things that he saw were unspeakable and that he couldn't couldn't explain it. They're unlawful to be uttered. And so I believe that that's one way you can think about uh, the revelation that John received. But let's read those first three verses. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. Now I want us to begin by understanding the phrase in verse 1, where he refers to these things as things which must shortly come to pass. And then at the end of verse 3, he says, the time is at hand. Now, I believe if you read all of the book of Revelation, that you'll see that it's obvious, especially near the end of the book, that not everything in the book of Revelation has been fulfilled. Now I realize there's a lot of symbolic language in the book, and you could reach many different conclusions. But I believe if we'll keep in mind that the purpose of this book is to give assurance and anticipation to God's people, we can look at these two phrases in a different light than how we might interpret them in other places in the New Testament. And the more I've thought about this, I don't believe I'm pushing it too far uh, to interpret the verses and the way I want to present them because there are other New Testament writers that use these phrases in the same way. Now, first of all, I want you to think about the meaning of the words uh, shortly and at hand.
1: These words can mean quickly, Soon, in a little while, nearby, or about to happen.
0: Now, I believe the idea here is I want to try to illustrate with other scripture. It's not that he was telling the churches that he's writing to that, that it's, it's certain that the Lord is going to return in the near future. It's certain he's gonna return maybe in a few years or maybe in your lifetime. I think the idea is that the Lord's return is certain. It's, It's not immediate, but it's imminent. He can return at any time. And our outlook should always be the same outlook that Paul gave to the first century churches And that is that we are looking for his coming. I believe that's the idea here. Not that it's about to happen. Now, from their perspective, they could look at it in that way, the same way we can today. The Lord may come back at any time, and we need to always pursue life with that perspective. These things must shortly come to pass, and the time is at hand. First of all, go to the end of Revelation. That was certainly the attitude that John had in Revelation chapter 22, verse 20. He which testifieth these things saith, surely I come quickly. Now there's another word. He used shortly come to pass. He used at hand. And now he uses the word quickly. He says, surely I come quickly. Amen. And John says, even so come Lord Jesus. See, we ought to have the exact same perspective today. Jesus is coming quickly. He may come before I finish preaching. It will be uh, unexpected, but expected by God's people at the same time. You know, we're not going to be probably uh, sitting down meditating and looking up at the sky when the Lord returns. We're expecting his return, but it will be unexpected at the same time, won't it? He's coming quickly. It's at hand. And he says here, even so come Lord Jesus. That's the same way we should think today. Usually on Sunday mornings, I'll walk around out in the yard and pray for the meeting and I noticed this morning uh, there were some clouds that looked like thick clouds you know you could see them rolling and I just thought I normally don't think this deeply about things but I was just thinking the Lord could rend the skies at this very moment And that's how we're to look. God is going to rend the skies. He's going to pull those curtains back and everyone in the world will see it. He's not coming back in a corner somewhere. The Lord will return and every eye shall see him. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess. He's coming quickly. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. I believe that's the idea. Now let's notice there are scriptures other places in the New Testament which illustrate this mindset of
1: anticipation. 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning with verse 11. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved,
0: the world, all that's therein, Your house, your car, your money, everything there is. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness?" Everything around you is temporal. It will be dissolved. So how you ought to focus on living a holy conversation, that is, your manner of life should be the pursuit of godliness, not worldliness.
1: Looking for, notice this, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God. Now, in the center column reference of
0: my Bible, it says that could have also been translated hasting the coming. See, that's an attitude like, Lord, I'm ready for you to come. I want you to come. I can't wait for you to come. Even so, come Lord Jesus. He says, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Somebody says, well, brother, buddy, is that the thousand year round? No, that's, that says heaven is a real place. And it's not a renovation of this world. This place is going to be burned up. But we're not worried about that. That doesn't discourage us. We're looking for new heavens and a new earth. And it's going to be a different place because what dwells there is righteousness. What dwells here? It seems like we see that sin dwells here more than righteousness. Righteousness. So Peter says, we need to be hasting unto the coming of the day of God. James chapter 5. Now to me,
1: this is one of the plainest examples of of the writer referring
0: to the second coming. There's no question about what he's referring to. And yet he uses that terminology that was used there in Revelation chapter 1. Notice this, James 5 verse 7, Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming
1: of the Lord. You know, I had someone approach me a few weeks ago, and they were
0: asking me questions about end time and this person had already been taught all of these ideas that are so prevalent today and he was asking me about you know are we in the when is the tribulation coming when will we have the thousand year reign uh when's the rapture and i just had to go back and say i don't believe in any of that And I had to turn to just basic scriptures like this, where he's writing to the first century church. And he said, be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. What did he tell those men that were standing gazing up into heaven? He says, why are you gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus shall come in like manner as you've seen him go up. He went up, he's coming back to get what he bought, and we go home. Wow, that's complicated theology, isn't it? But that's the truth. He bought us. He doesn't need to do anything else for us. He said, you worship me in spirit and in truth, in the church, in the kingdom I gave you, and one
1: day I'm going to come back. But here's what I've given you until that day comes. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold the
0: husbandman that is the. Farmer, or the gardener, waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he received the
1: early and latter rain. Be ye also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. You see, it's
0: the same tone, isn't it? He says in verse seven, brethren, uh, be patient until the coming of the Lord. And then he says again in verse eight, be patient for the coming of the Lord. Draweth nigh. It's on the way. It's arriving. It's almost here. It's drawing nigh. It's close. It's at hand. It will come quickly. And that's what he's saying here. Brethren, be patient. Now, the only reason you need to tell people to be patient is because they're not patient, right? it's, It's okay to be impatient over the Lord coming back. It's okay to say, man, I just wish the Lord would hurry up. I don't think God's displeased with that kind of impatience. The coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Then look at Revelation chapter 1 verse 7. We're going ahead, but this is so uh, much connected. Revelation 1 7. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him.
1: Notice that first word, behold, he cometh with clouds and every eye shall see him. So this is the revelation of Jesus Christ, the drawing the curtains back.
0: You know, maybe you, you remember, uh, I remember at the old Bama Theater when it was a movie theater. You remember the curtains would be pulled back. That's old-fashioned and outdated, isn't it? But they'd pull the curtains back. And then the the movie would... Come on, and and the you could see the projector, you know, uh, putting the movie on the screen, and now you can you can see all about it. That's what revelation is. It's an uh, an unveiling. It's an opening. It's drawing the curtains back. This is a revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Now there's a lot in that. We're not going to cover all of that. We covered verse 1 in detail already, but I want to just from verse 2 tonight emphasize that last part. He bear record of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ, speaking of John,
1: and of all things that he saw. You know, what a prosecutor wants in the courtroom
0: is a witness that saw what happened. They don't. If there was a car wreck and they're trying to determine who's at fault, they don't want somebody to come in and say, well, I heard that so-and-so ran the red light. They don't want that. And they don't want someone to say, well, so-and-so told me he saw this person run the light. They don't want that. They want the person that says, I was standing right there on the street corner when that wreck happened, and here's what I saw.
1: John's going to tell us what he saw. So as you read all of these strange visions and you say, well, why did
0: John say all that? That's what he saw. That's right. He's just telling you what he saw. Doesn't mean he's crazy. It doesn't mean that uh, he's got more in-depth understanding than other
1: writers. He just says, here's what I saw. Blessed is he that readeth,
0: and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. Notice there
1: in verse 3. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words, and he that keeps those
0: things written therein. You know, I think one reason that it says, Blessed is he that readeth, is because sometimes I feel like that's all that's happening when I go through Revelation. I'm reading. I don't know what I'm reading. I don't understand it. I can't interpret it. And we get discouraged and we'll say, well, how can this be of practical benefit uh, to the church when I don't even understand it? He said, you're blessed if you read it. Now, that applies to all the Bible, doesn't it? But it's especially emphasized here. But he says, just reading it as a blessing. But he doesn't stop there. He said, he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy.
1: But then notice this. And keep those things which are written therein. Blessed are those that keep. They hold on to.
0: They guard. They don't turn loose the things that are written therein. And it's important to keep that thought in mind when you're reading what is written to each of those seven churches. Blessed are they that keepeth the things written therein. But that's an important principle in general, isn't it? For example, look at Luke chapter 11.
1: Luke chapter 11 and verse 28. Verse 27 says, And it came to pass, as he spake these things, a
0: certain woman of the company lifted up her voice and said unto him, Blessed is the womb that bare thee and the paps which thou hast sucked. But he said, Yea, rather, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. That word keep, that's the same idea. Those that keep, those that guard it, those that hold on to it, Jesus said, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. Now we all know uh, what James said about it in James chapter 1. If you don't know it, you need to know it now in James chapter 1 and
1: verse 22. Be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only. Blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. Be
0: doers of the word, and not hearers only. Blessed are those that read it, that hear it, and keep it. And notice the additional point that's mentioned here in James one twenty two: Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. You know, I used to hear this occasionally,
1: and I hadn't heard it in a long time, but I heard it just recently. I heard somebody say, well, I know I attend such and such church a church that's not Primitive
0: Baptist. But I'm a Primitive Baptist. No, you're not. (laughs) You may believe it. You may profess that's the doctrine you embrace. But if you believe it, you're going to notice what he says here. If any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth his face and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. In other words, here's a person, they know what the truth is, they look in the mirror, and they say, this is the truth, where I'm going, that's not the truth. But instead of making the adjustment, they just walk away and forget all about what they saw and continue going where they're at. Be,
1: hearers of the, be doers of the word and not hearers only. And then one more. This one's really plain. Look at... 1 John chapter 3 and verse 18. My little children. You know, John looked at the churches that way. One place he said, I have no greater joy than to hear
0: that my children walk in truth. Now, let's, let's go down a little rabbit trail here for a minute.
1: You may think it's not that big of a deal if you're not committed to the church. But John said, "I have no greater joy than to hear that my
0: children walk in truth." The children there are not his natural children. He's referring to his spiritual children. Now, here's one thing you if you want to understand how a pastor thinks, And feels, consider this scenario. If you have little children and you take them swimming, every once in a while, matter of fact, very often you're going to look and make sure you see their heads above water. Make sure they're okay. Now, I have, a, I have concern about every child in the pool. In other words, I hope that if any child was drowning, that I would make the effort to save them. But there's a concern I have for my children that's on a far greater, greater level. And that's not just thinking, oh yeah, they're my responsibility. No, it's a burden, isn't it? It's a strong sense of responsibility. Did you know that's exactly how a pastor feels towards those he pastors? It's not, oh, I'm going to give another presentation from the Bible today. No, it's not that. He said, I have no greater joy. The way I can be the happiest in life is to hear that my children walk. That indicates doing, doesn't it? That my children walk in truth
1: I like that expression in Hebrews 13:17 This is so revealing of the special
0: place that a pastor occupies Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account. Now stop there. What does that say? He has to give account to God for how your soul is doing. Did you know that? We know that's not speaking of of eternal salvation, is it? That's not to say that he's afraid you're going to hell now. You were saved, but now you're going to hell. That's not the point at all. We know that. But it says, uh, obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. Why? They watch for your souls as they that must give account. In other words, it's a burden on them. It's something they feel accountable for
1: that they may do it with joy. And not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you.
0: See, he's not saying, the Lord's not saying, I'm gonna chasten the pastor if you're not faithful in following the Word of God as He teaches it. He's just saying there is a real special relationship when God providentially places a pastor over a church. And I don't, you know, I don't want to be too personal, but sometimes we need to be personal to really get the point across. Brother Chris was preparing to move to Arab, Alabama, before he was called to Zion Church. Do you think that's just insignificant? That oh well, that didn't work out in Arab, so he decided to come to Zion. I know one time he came up here, and Tim came here, and he was crying, and they cried together and prayed over the situation. This is a big deal. It involves God's providence and God burdening men and God sending men and God giving them what to preach. The way I try to pray before I preach is, Lord, I just want to be an an old rusted hammer or tool that nobody notices, but the master carpenter uses it to build
1: something impressive. That's what he's saying here. They must give account. that they may do it with joy and not with grief.
0: If they do it with grief, so they got to say, Lord, I preach the word,
1: and they're not doing it. He's going to give account with grief. He wants to see his children walk in truth. But if he gives that account in grief, it's not unprofitable for him
0: in terms of the consequences in his life. It's unprofitable. For you, that is the one that's causing the grief.
1: Have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Now, we want
0: to bring this to a conclusion. So let's back up off the rabbit trail and go back to Revelation. That was a pretty long trail, wasn't it? Go back to Revelation chapter 1.
1: Let's just conclude it by reading those first three verses again. The revelation of Jesus Christ,
0: which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. Notice this is given not to theologians, but to servants. This is not given to be discussed by those that have PhDs. No, this is given to his servants to show them things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. This was given to just a servant of God to give to other servants. And John bear record of the word of God, the testimony of Jesus Christ. And of all things that he saw, blessed is he that readeth, they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein,
1: for the time is at hand. So if the Lord does lead us to continue in this, or if you read this on your own and get to some of those Strange visions. One of the the things to keep in mind is that,
0: yes, there's a lot going on. But there's an invisible, real world that the Bible calls new heavens and new earth. And there's worship going on there now. Now. And it's going to continue going on there until the Lord brings time to an end and then we'll be all there with them who are already singing, worthy is the lamb that was slain and has redeemed us by his blood
1: out of every nation, kindred, tongue and tribe under heaven. The time is at hand. Might come in a few minutes, might come many years from now. But it's going to shortly, quickly come to pass. Right. We thank you for
0: listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.